Welcome back to Oliver's Insights, part of the Simplifying Investing podcast series. It's great to have you here. A reminder that this podcast is general in nature and hasn't taken your circumstances into account. It's important you consider your personal circumstances and speak to a financial advisor before deciding what's right for you. Any general tax information provided is provided as a guide only. And with that out of the way, here's Shane. G'day there and welcome to the latest issue of the Oliver's Insights podcast series. This week, we're going to have a look at the confusing economic picture, particularly in Australia, but also as it applies globally. And in particular, why you need to know the difference between leading and lagging economic indicators. I reckon many must be confused about the current economic situation in Australia. We hear constant talk about how high interest rates and cost of living pressures are causing economic pain for many households. Consumer confidence is at recessionary levels and various companies are expressing concern about the economic outlook. But at the same time, the unemployment rate remains very low. Lots of Australians seem to be holidaying in Europe and restaurants and cafes are doing remarkably well. While per it's not that unusual at turning points in the economy for various indicators to be conflicting. Much of it comes down to the difference between what we call leading, coincident and lagging economic indicators. This note looks at the differences between those three types of indicators and why it's important to allow for them. So firstly, so what do we mean by leading, lagging and coincident economic indicators. Basically, economic indicators can be divided based on whether they lead, lag, or are coincident with the economic cycle as measured by GDP growth. It's important to be mindful of this when the economy is turning down. Leading economic indicators are economic indicators which lead the economic cycle as defined by GDP growth, often by 6 to 18 months. This is because they reflect changes, say, in monetary policy, like what we call the yield curve, which is the gap between long-term and short-term interest rates. And that, of course, is a guide to whether the monetary policy is tight or loose. Obviously, if you raise short-term interest rates, they tend to go up relative to longer-term interest rates, and we end up with what you call an inverted yield curve, and that can often be a sign of tight monetary policy. Another similar indicator, of course, is the money supply. When the money supply is growing rapidly, that can be a sign of easy monetary policy. When it's contracting, it can be a sign of tight monetary policy. Or alternatively, leading indicators respond quickly to changes, say, in interest rates, like, for example, share markets, consumer and business confidence, and approvals to build new homes. So these are economic indicators which move ahead of the economic cycle, often in response to changes, say, in interest rates, and it can give a guide to where the economic cycle is going. Then we have coincident economic indicators which move with the economic cycle. So obviously GDP growth by definition is coincident, as are things like retail sales growth and household income. And finally, we have lagging indicators which tend to turn after the economic cycle has turned up or down. Unemployment and inflation are classic lagging economic indicators because companies are invariably slow to adjust hiring and pricing decisions. They persist with decisions to, say, hire or raise prices, often long after demand has slowed because it takes a while to recognise that any downturn is permanent, and likewise to turn around the mechanisms by which they hire and raise prices. Of course, this works in reverse when the economy is starting to recover from a downturn. Of course, of course, leads and lags for various indicators may vary for each cycle. Sometimes an indicator may sort of jump from being a, a leading indicator to a coincident indicator. So it's probably best not to get too hung up on that. And often we just take an average of a whole range of leading indicators to combine into an index. So various organizations publish 
indexes based on each. For example, the Conference Board in the US produces leading economic indicators, lagging economic indicators, and of course, coincident economic indicators. Right now, we have a situation in the US where leading indicators are depressed, but coincident indicators having slowed, but are still growing, and lagging indicators have slowed recently, but are still around pre-pandemic levels. In other words, still reasonably solid. It's a similar story in Australia right now, with the Westpac Melbourne Institute producing a leading index, which has slowed, but of course, GDP growth in Australia. Australia remains quite positive. This is particularly relevant now in relation to inflation and unemployment. So I'll focus on each of these in turn. So first, if we turn to the jobs market, recent Australian jobs data has been strong with employment up 3% on a year ago, hours worked up 4.7% on a year ago, and unemployment at around 3.5%, which is near a 50-year low. In fact, the low was reached in October last year when it was 3.4%. So we've still got very, very low unemployment. Of course, for much of the last 30 years, Australia has not had a clear defined economic cycle, and unemployment was in a downtrend. The pandemic also distorted normal economic relationships. However, if you go back through time, we can see particularly around major turns in the economy, such as the early 1990s recession, the early 2000s and early 2008 growth slowdowns, all of those situations saw unemployment tend to lag swings in GDP growth, particularly when there's a downturn occurring. And of course, coming out of the early 1990s recession, it was a full eight 18 months before the jobs market started to improve again, even though we had exited that recession. So it's quite normal for the unemployment rate to lag movements in the economy. In fact, we put together a leading indicator of jobs growth, which is based on things like vacancies as per various business surveys, and also hiring plans, which you can also get from various business surveys, such as the NAB business survey that comes out monthly in Australia. And all of these point to a slowing in jobs growth ahead. In fact, our indicator would suggest that growth in employment, which is currently running at around 3% annualized, is likely to show slow to 1% or less over the next few months. Consistent with this data from SEEK, which is a job placement agency, shows a rising trend in applications per job ad and consumer surveys also show a rising trend in unemployment expectations, which tends to lead the unemployment rate at turning points. On current trends, our jobs leading indicator suggests that employment growth is likely to fall below the 1% growth the RBA is forecasting over the next year, suggesting upside risk to their forecast for a rise in the unemployment rate to 4.5%. In other words, it wouldn't surprise at all if we end up with unemployment pushing past that up towards 5% and possibly even higher. Roughly speaking, right now, we need 3% jobs growth on an annualized basis to keep the unemployment rate stable given the surge in population growth that we're now seeing with very high levels of immigration. So the point to all of that is that yes, the jobs market is still quite strong, but when you look at the relationship with economic growth, we do seem to have seen a peak in the economic growth rate last year, and that would suggest lower jobs growth ahead and higher unemployment. And likewise, when we look at various leading indicators of the jobs market, such as job vacancies and hiring plans, they also suggest some sort of slowdown on the way in the next several months. And obviously, higher unemployment is likely to flow from that. It's also worth noting that inflation tends to lag the economic cycle. Now, once again, it is just worth stressing that over the last 30 years, we didn't have a lot of clear economic cycles in Australia. But if we go back to the early 1990s, it is quite clear that inflation lagged the cycle. Inflation peaked um, long after GDP growth peaked 
in the late 1980s. And of course, coming out of the recession, it took a while for inflation to stop falling. And I would suspect that we're looking at a similar relationship going forward. Now, of course, the pandemic distorted things, pushing inflation down very quickly in 2020, making it almost coincident with economic growth and the combination of pandemic-related distortions, floods and the war in Ukraine depressed supply helped boost inflation since 2021, but the supply side is at least now normalising. So there's been a few distortions lately which have made the picture a bit confusing. But while inflation is still too high, the increasing signs of a sharp slowdown in growth and high and a high risk of recession in Australia, which we put at 50%, with the biggest risk being the Reserve Bank over-tightening, those things point to a sharp fall in inflation ahead, as weaker economic growth means less demand relative to supply in the economy. And of course, when demand goes down and supply potentially improves as the distortions associated with the pandemic hopefully recede into history, then that should mean lower prices or at least lower a lower rate of inflation. So to conclude all of this, the key points are that firstly, still low unemployment and still high inflation are not that unusual despite slower economic growth because both normally lag big swings in the economic cycle. Running the economy with too much focus on them is a bit like driving a car with the rear view mirror. As such, the Reserve Bank and other central banks need to tread very carefully from here and allow for the lags from the rapid rise in interest rates to work through lest they end up pushing unemployment far higher than they need to in order to return inflation to target. Fortunately, at least, the minutes from the last RBA board meeting suggest that it is at least aware of the risks. So hopefully that's been of some use. I think the key is that we always need to allow for the difference between lagging economic indicators, uh, which right now are still quite strong, of course, uh, jobs market being a key indicator of that, and of course leading indicators which are actually weakening, and it's desirable as far as possible for economic policy to focus more on the leading indicators. So I might leave it there, I hope that's been of value, until we meet again, adios. To keep up to date with Dr Oliver in the Simplifying Investing podcast series, be sure to subscribe to your favourite streaming platform.